This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, I think I've mentioned this before here on the program, but I'll do it again because it relates to one of the main topics we're going to be discussing today. Mitch Hedberg, the uh, late great comedian. If you don't know who Mitch Hedberg was, do yourself a favor. Uh, Mitch Hedberg used to have this wonderful bit where he'd say, Hey man, do you want to see a picture of me when I was younger? To which he would retort, Every picture is a picture of you when you were younger. We're going to talk a lot about history today. We're going to talk a lot about trophies today. We're going to talk a lot about historical NHL names today because, and we may get around to talking about statues as well. I'm sure that's probably going to come up over the course of today's conversation. But wanted to kick off today's show, and we'll get to the games from last night, the preview of the games this evening, and a number of intriguing guests. Uh, Elliot Friedman, by the way, pushed to the second hour, some scheduling issues there. So he's at the, uh, the Board of Governors meeting uh, in Florida at West Palm. We'll get to him in hour two. Anthony Stewart coming up at the bottom of the hour. Speaking of history, he's going to be a big part of it. So is his brother. Their numbers go up to the Raptors in Kingston where they played with the Frontenacs. And Jason York from the NHL and Sportsnet will stop by as well. Um, Gordon Stella coming up here in a couple of moments. Want to bring aboard Matt Marchese, our producer, just to, to have this conversation about the NHL and awards, the NHL and trophies. And the the idea of the NHL renaming some, all, I don't think anyone's in favor of all, but we'll see, of their trophies, both the uh, the in-season and the postseason trophies. The NBA has now done this, and this is where this conversation essentially comes from. So uh, the NBA announcing today that uh, a, number of, uh, a number of trophies, uh, well, six uh, new trophies, and, you know, honoring NHL legends, um, Michael Jordan, Will Chamberlain, uh, et cetera, Akeem Olajuwon, uh, Jerry West, their names will be attached to some of these trophies. And, you know, Maddie, we've talked about this before. We talked about this around Hall of Fame time, uh, certainly post-Hall of Fame after Herb Carnegie went in. You know, how can you celebrate, honor, respect Herb Carnegie on one hand and then still award the Conn Smythe Trophy uh, on the other? And I just threw it out there on Twitter this morning, knowing full well what the backlash was going to be. I know anytime you try to move history an inch to the left or an inch to the right, people get their backs up, and I understand that. Um, But the conversation comes around once again. Now that the NBA has done this, it becomes a conversation, I think, for a lot of other sports, and maybe front and center, certainly for this program, is hockey. Is it time for, and there are some, by the way, there are some in the NHL that think we should do this and have thought this way for a long time. Nothing has happened, but do you think it's time for a review of these trophies and the gentlemen's names that have been attached to them for a long time? Yeah, I do. And, and it's in part to honor the, the legends that have actually played the game and maybe won said trophy that they would be honored for, um, but also because yeah. there are certain people in the game that, yes, they had a part in it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they should be celebrated, um, talking about the Conn Smythe Trophy. Mm-hmm. And when you got a lot of tweets yeah. on this, as you expected, and, and one of my favorite ones, actually, is uh, from Ian Miller-Thompson, and he says, guaranteed there will be a ton of guys vehemently objecting who couldn't tell you a single thing about most if not all of the people the awards are named after Mm. um not wrong um but i I, you know i think i think part of this even just bringing this up i think 
I mean, maybe sort of nudges people more towards trying to learn about some of the people whose, you know, names the trophies are attached to and whether it's appropriate or not. I mean, I'm like, listen, Maddie, you know me and anyone who's ever listened to me going back to when I started in this industry in the mid 90s um, knows how much I've talked about hockey history and how it's a minor no, I shouldn't say minor. It's an obsession of mine. And if you're watching on 360 or Sportsnet now, you can see, you know, only a couple of the bookshelves um, of the various hockey books that I've gone through and continue to reread and recontextualize as, as my life goes on. And, you know, I, I, you know, the idea that you can never step in the same river twice, you can never read the same book twice. Like if you've gone back to read, take, for example, Ken Dryden's The Game. If you read that when you were 15 years old, it's probably a different book when you read it when you're 30 years old and maybe an even different book when you're 50 years old. So we're always in the process of recontextualizing history and... So I look at I I come at this from from two different well from from two different ways. Like there are two guiding principles when it comes to things like this that I have in my life. One of them, uh, and they're both sayings. The the one saying goes like this: um, tradition is just peer pressure from dead people. And the other is actually over my right shoulder. If you're watching on television right now, I'll share with you. If you're not, um, it's an Alan Watts kanji, and it says unlearn something daily. The idea that never let the concrete harden around any of your ideas or concepts. Always be in a sort of state of uh, evolving around facts. Don't believe in them as facts. Believe in them as things and uh, along with their current interpretations. And I look at that for trophies. And I look at that for all things really in life. But for the purposes of this conversation, I, I look at it for trophies. Consmite is the obvious one. Consmite is the obvious one. You know, after... You know, specifically after Gary Bettman gave that really beautiful speech about Herb Carnegie at the Hockey Hall of Fame, you know, I said to myself, you know, I don't know that you can do that speech and award the Consumite Trophy anymore. I don't know that the hockey world can wrap its arms around Herb Carnegie and the entire Carnegie family, um, bring it into, bring that family into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and specifically that man, Herb Carnegie, who should have been the first um, and still award the Conn Smythe Trophy. Um, and one of the examples that I was thinking of this morning is if Jerome McGinley were still playing for the Calgary Flames right now after Herb Carnegie goes into the Hockey Hall of Fame, if Jerome McGinley were playing for the, with, for the uh, Calgary Flames right now as captain of the Calgary Flames and wins the playoff MVP award, how comfortable are we awarding that to Jerome McGinley? Probably not at all. Like, I'm always sort of encouraging hockey to get, I think you are as well, Maddie, and I think most people are, encouraging hockey to get out in front of things, you know, before you have to get dragged, kicking and screaming into them. Get out in front of things. And whether that's, and again, here we go with this can of worms, and I get it, but we all know where this is heading, the Blackhawks logo or the Conn Smythe trophy. No one is saying, like one of the accusations in conversations like this all the time, Maddie, is, oh, you're erasing history. No one's erasing history. Conn Smythe is still going to be part of history. I just don't think that knowing what we know now, and really, to be honest, folks, we've known for a lot of years, I just don't know that it's someone anymore that we should laud and should attach a name to the playoff MVP award. Your thoughts on that one? 
hundred percent. And I, and I think that it's, we recognize what Conn Smythe meant to the NHL in terms of what he did for the Toronto Maple Leafs in that franchise. But also it doesn't necessarily mean that he needs to be celebrated. Um, you know, and, and that's for me, what the difference here is, is that, Yes, we acknowledge his existence, but we do not need to celebrate everything, and we certainly don't need to name an award after him. Um, here's a this is this is one that maybe goes along with kind of what we're saying about the other the other people aside from Con Smythe, and that is this is from Pete Judge, mm-hmm. and he says, "I think keeping the names from of players from generations ago gives the trophies more mystique." even though they're not all players. Um, at least for me as a kid, I wanted to know who those guys were. I like the names as they are. And and while I believe that that is certainly of interest for some, my take on it would be I like honoring the players that have performed and the players that, like, like the fact that Wayne Gretzky does not have a trophy named after him to me or Bobby Orr in the same breath, mm-hmm. to me is like, are, are we really honoring the past of the game or are we just, you know, like the Art Ross trophy and, and you got you got a tweet from Keith Olbermann because you talked about him having only scored one <laughs> point in three career NHL games and his league and his name is yep. attached to the the uh, leading score. We know that the trophy was donated and this is what Keith Olbermann said. He donated the trophy. Yep. This seems to be sufficient for this thing donated by Lord Stanley of Preston. Yes. Um, a couple of things there. You're allowed to start new awards. Um, uh, so, you know, thank you very much, um, Mr. Ross, um, for this trophy. Uh, we are going to start a new trophy now, essentially for the same thing, the leading scorer in the regular season. We're just going to call it something different. Now, Art Ross is an interesting one because to that person that tweeted in about learning about history uh, by the names attached to the trophies, I don't disagree. But my question then becomes, well, what happens when you do learn about Conn Smythe? Bingo. Do you feel like you should do anything about it? Now, when you do learn about someone like Art Ross, who along with, along with probably you know, the Patrick family, you know, did more certainly in that era to advance the game. And we're still dining out on some of the innovations, whether it was, you know, Art Ross with the puck, with uh, the Nets, you know, um, both of which we still live with, to say nothing of, you know, Art Ross essentially holding once, but I think it was in 1926, the first Shanahan Summit, for lack of a better term, you know, as uh, too many games were being decided in, in low-scoring ties, the NHL at that point was looking for a looking for a new way to juice scoring. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Uh, But this goes back into the 20s, and that was spearheaded by Art Ross, like one of the best innovators in the game. I think his name should be attached to something. I just don't know that it's appropriate to attach it to the leading scorer in the regular season, considering he played three and only had one points. And I believe it was on the first day of play back in 1917. Anyhow... Um, the, 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 the point there for me is no one is talking about renaming all the trophies. I think maybe finding somewhere else for someone like Art Ross. Um, you don't need to redo the Stanley Cup. No one's talking about a blanket, you know, complete makeover of all of the trophies. Conn Smythe is an obvious one. I think, and I think most people within the within the NHL uh, would agree. But just like, what about the other ones? You know, 
James Norris, you know, union smashing, things like that. How do we feel? Like when you do, my question is, when you do find out about these people, what do you think then? Do you think their name should still be attached to trophies? When you're a young hockey fan and you go to see the Chicago Blackhawks play at United Stadium and you see a trophy, or you see a statue of Bobby Hull, and you go, wow, I want to learn more about Bobby Hull. What happens when you do? What do you do then with that information? Do you say, I'm not so sure he should have a statue. You can't erase the history, but you can certainly take down the statue. Uh, more on this and the, the naming of trophies. It is a, a very hot button always where the nerves are close to the skin. Uh, Gordy Selleck joining me now from uh, NHL Network Radio Morning Skate. How are you doing today, Gordy? I'm good, Jeff. It is the, um, you saw the, what the NBA did this morning with their trophies? I just been listening to you and Matt. So I kind of got, uh, I got, I got the sense of it. So yeah, they're, they're, you know, and what they did is they're trying to catch up to the NHL. Like, like um, the names aside, um, it's something that I don't know what you can say fell in the NHL's lap, but they've got the best set of trophies. They're, they're beautiful to look at. Um, they're the best kind of display going. The presentation of the Stanley Cup is not equaled by any other sport. So, um, yeah, so I followed that, that they tried to bring it to the modern world, but also they're really chasing the NHL. Do you think that there, because I know there are some people within the NHL that have discussed renaming the trophies, not necessarily all of them, but at least having an audit and saying, we should do something about this one and that one. Maybe this doesn't make sense. Maybe we want to find a place for Jean Beliveau in all of this, certainly Wayne Gretzky. Do you think, like, does, that, does that find concert with you, Gord, or is it, you know what, leave it, it's sacred, don't touch it? Well, I, I, I never go to the leave it, it's sacred route, but I think, you know, you, there, there, there's no quite, like, and as you're talking earlier, it's funny, like uh, Lord Stanley donated a trophy. Um, Lady Bing, the wife of uh, yeah. Lord Bing, and the King Bing affair, great Canadian history when the Governor General stuck his nose where it shouldn't have been, right, in Canadian politics. And mm-hmm. anyway, his wife donated the Lady Bing trophy to apropos the most gentlemanly player, whatever, you know. Um, so, so there's a historical context where it all came from. Uh, you got, you know, Smythe, Adams. I mean, Lester Patrick's not an NHL trophy, but it's one, you know, they, they, those are the names synonymous with the, the big names around the National Hockey League. So, I mean, that's a historical context, and I think there's a um, just like the Heisman Trophy. I mean, I, I I love I love trophies with that kind of historical context. I think it I think it I think it means a lot. I think it adds some some bite to it. But I also understand nowadays about you know whether you the term audit or whatever it may be. And again, you also have to in again you get again you get into this kind of it's not a slippery slope, but you look at what look at society in 2022 and like how do how do we get judged about whatever the ills are of society like uh, you know 100 years from now because um obviously the word egregious if if we're uh, someone that can be deemed an egregious person and our actions or whatever we did versus you know what what society was like at that particular time you know so there, there's a lot of there's a lot mm-hmm. of factors to weigh uh, there are tons, uh, and unfortunately, we only have a few minutes. So let's uh, we'll, we'll pick up this conversation later on in the program. Um, but I want to ask you about a couple of things here. You know, Rick Dollywall yesterday. You know, it, it looks like 
you know, Bo, Hor- Bo Horvat and the Vancouver Canucks are headed the uh, the direction most likely of a trade. Um, do you have a Do you have a thought on on Horvat? Uh, to me, it seems in a lot of ways maybe the die was cast when they prioritized JT Miller uh, over their captain. You know, low ball offers, um, not getting respected, etc. A lot of the a lot of the things you hear around. Um, this issue with the the Canucks and their captain. How do you see this situation right now, Gordon? You know, where, I mean, the obvious one is headed for a trade by the time deadline rolls around, although Rutherford likes to make his moves sooner than that. How do you see this one ending up? And and from your point of view, are you as shocked as many of us that it even got to this point? Uh, Yeah, I don't know about being shocked anymore, Jeff, but, I, I, you know, it's funny. You see Wade Redden last night being honored by Ottawa. And you remember they made that decision, Wade Redden or Sedano Chair, right? You know, there's always that uh, when you go big cap-wise on somebody, somebody else gets left out. And your confrere Elliott said, boy, nobody, I think I was more surprised by the JT Miller deal last year. So I I, I think in a lot of ways, that's a big part of setting the die, the die being cast. And uh, um, I I say this, this being a trade and because he's a UFA, he's a, he's a hired gun, but he's a, you know, hired gun of about as, high quality and, you know, what, 27 years old. So uh, I, I, I see that going in that direction. I mean, Jim Rutherford, doesn't he, Jeff, seems seems okay about not making the playoffs and, and doing, he hasn't called it a rebuild or retool or doing it right. So I, I just see, given the uh, given what we learned over the last week, that it's probably, it's, it's very, very unlikely to get done. So you might as well move forward. Yeah. You see, I, I kind of look at Vancouver, and they have the potential to do – you know, kind of what I mean. Dallas takes it to a whole different level. Like the the way they've been able to rebuild this this organization on the fly. Like that's the envy of you know thirty one other teams around the NHL who all will either go through it now or will go through it one day. But I look at the Vancouver Canucks and say, like there is so much quality. There are so many quality hockey players there that I don't think they have to go the you know take it right down to the bolts, uh, the nuts and bolts, and strip this thing down. And you know probably. Depending on the return you can get for Horvat, and I know that everyone's capped out right now, and a deal like this is tough. And you know we'll probably have the Colorado conversation with Horvat sooner than later. But they can really do their future a lot of good if they nail this one. I'm just not sure how big the market is right now, um, considering a lot of teams are capped out. A lot of teams have, you know, there's going to be a team that's going for a long playoff run. Uh, a lot of them already have their centers locked up. Injuries are always the wild card for sure. Um, but Vancouver can do themselves a world of good here, Gord. Like with the right deal here, you know, they can kind of start to do what Dallas has done and impressed everybody. Yeah, I mean, we just don't have these Ryan Smith and, and Theo Fleury trade deadline deals like used to be. So, I mean, that that's the point is uh, yeah. uh, at, if 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 you're you're not getting enough back for him, you're better off, and you're still what three five points out of the playoffs. You're probably better staying the course than Tay, you know. So again, the the market should dictate some pretty good futures. Yeah, it's funny, you know, Dallas again, you go back to one draft, right? Miro Heiskin in third overall, then they get uh Jake yeah. Ottinger in the first round and they get Jason Roberts in the second round. So you got you got one draft which set them up nice and and Jim Nils sort of become what Doug Wilson was in San Jose, get, being able to stagger contracts and keep it going until the world came tumbling down with Eric Carlson and I guess Evander Kane way back when. And that. so, so Vancouver is 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 trying to do that. You're, you know, uh, our, our friend Corey Hirsch 
you know, he brings the thing up. Well, we, 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 well, Vancouver never got a number one overall pick. And, you know, that's the recipe. That's the only way you can do it by and large. Well, the Red Wings aren't going to get a number one overall pick. Sometimes you don't get the lottery luck, but you've got Quinn Hughes. You know, you got a, you Thatcher Demko you, when he's healthy and that. You got a lot of positives. So I, I like, I'm, I'm really, I tell you, Jeff, the whole thing about Vancouver that's perplexed me is there were so many positives last year when Jim Rutherford and Bruce Boudreaux came on, how they played, how they competed. And then the off season just started, started a lot of white noise where it really wasn't needed. And there's just been this almost from the, from the puck drop where you, you break it down. There's, there's yeah. a lot of positive things that are there. Um, other issues around the NHL in the couple of minutes we have left with you. Um, Ellie Tolvanen a- ends up claimed by the Seattle crack. And I think the, the only thing that surprised me, to be honest with you, like I thought he was going to get claimed. I think we all thought he was going to get claimed. I'm surprised it took as long as, as to Seattle for someone to, to, to have put in the first claim. Like, are you not surprised that other teams didn't, like, lower teams? Because it goes in, in reverse order. Team 32 can put in the first claim. Are you surprised he lasted as long as Seattle? Yeah, big time. Big time. You know, just uh, 1.4 million hit this year. Next year, he's still an RFA after that. I mean, I know you brought it up earlier. Everyone seems to be up against the cap. I mean, are they that tight against the cap. I mean, I, every team is, and I, I just, um, I, you know, I got maybe teams thought, okay, we're out of the playoffs. We're going to go, we're going to go about it a different way. But I, boy, I really see him as a diamond in the rough. And you've seen so many players that have been able to find um, a new, a new scenario, a new situation and, you know, find themselves. And this is a guy that's uh, shown on the international stage in the world juniors uh, in the USHL. He did as well. You and I were talking about it yesterday on our, on our morning show and um, Hey, good on Seattle, right? You know, just, I don't know. Sometimes when things yeah. go right in life, you get the breaks as well. And I, I would think, I would think they would be pleasantly surprised that he slipped down as far as they were, uh, that their claim is the one that held. You know, you know what I wonder about there? I, I wonder if in Seattle's mind, they have to, they have a chance to do Daniel Sprong version 2.0. Like the, the yeah. calling card for Tolvanen is the shot and he has a bomb, not unlike Daniel Sprong. Uh, we talk about the hardest shots around the NHL. Like include Daniel Sprong in that because he's got an absolute cannon of a shot. I wonder if they look at this and say, you know, Daniel Sprong was a reclamation project for us, and now our bottom six looks fantastic. Um, you know, every listen, every manager believes that their program can solve all the ills uh, for any player. There is that arrogance that I think every organization needs. You know, I really do wonder, Gord, if Seattle's looking at Tolvanen and saying, we did it with Sprong, we can do it with Tolvanen. Yeah, and they got a very positive environment now, which you, you, last year you wouldn't have said that. And, you know, and these are the kind of moves, Jeff, like everyone, the big trades don't happen anymore. We still get excited about them. They really don't happen they're sexy. They, they, they denote action being taken by the front office. But it's always been if you get up and there's a chance to just improve your organization incrementally along the way and more times than not, whatever move you make is an incremental, incremental improvement. It's not the overnight success, but that's how, you, that's how you build it, whether it's drafting, you know, whether it's developing, whether it's a waiver claim, whether it's a minor trade, whatever. Yep. These are the way you put all the pieces together. And I, I just... You know, and, and Seattle's done a, you know, Matty Beneers looks like he could be the kind of bit of a, could be the wow guy as far as a draft goes. But, you know, then some of these other pieces uh, are the ways that all of a sudden you're the Colorado Avalanche last year, or the Tampa Bay Lightning the previous two years. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that, because as you're saying that, I first of all, I agree. Second of all, I think of the Colorado Avalanche. Like before they, you know, turned into this, 
you know, juggernaut team and Stanley Cup victory and, you know, mowing through teams. Like, you look at how Joe Sackick behaved. Like, Joe Sackick did a great job. Uh, well, I mean, the dra- a lot of the drafting and development had already been in place, and those players were sort of, you know, uh, developing into the elite forces that they are now. But you look at how Joe Sackick worked things like the waiver wire, uh, low-cost free agency, taking, you know, responsible gamble, Valery Nachushkin, right? Like, who was... Who yeah. was touching Valeri Nachushkin, right? Nobody was. And, and, and Sakic saw something, or his pro scout saw something that was there. Like, you're right. Like the, I think one of the things that the salary cap has shown us, and it's exactly what you said, and that is if you have a chance to improve your team even slightly, even slightly, you do it. You do it because it is so hard, line, 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 to improve in the NHL, when you have a chance to improve even just a tiny bit, I think the salary cap has shown you need to do it. Um, one of the things from last night um, I wondered about, Gordon, that is where have all the goals gone? And I know it's just one night, but we're so spoiled right now, aren't we? Like every night it's like, hey, did you see that 9-8 game? Hey, did you see that 7-6 game? Hey, did you see that 8-5 game? Last night was a string of 2-1 to games, a 3 nothing game, a one nothing overtime game, and the uh, the 4-3 Rangers win over the Devils was the highest-scoring affair of the evening. Of all of these low-scoring games last night, Gord, were there, were there one or two that really caught your eye? Well, it's fine. Five of the six games were one-goal margins as, as well. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm with you that, and of course, Elliot's always big on putting a wager. I keep thinking if I wagered over, I'd be uh, booking a cruise around the world right now. I don't know <laughs> if that's accurate or not. So certain... I, 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 you know, there was a lot to the Calgary-Montreal game. You know, unfortunately, a couple of injuries as well. But, yeah. um, I, 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 you know, Montreal is one of the most flat-out, one of the most entertaining teams this year. They just are, whether they make the playoffs or oh, not. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, and, and that and that kind of showed last night. So, uh, you know, whereas I, I found the Pittsburgh-Dallas game a little bit more, a little bit more pedestrian uh, in that respect. But, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a weird night. But of those games, you know, I mean, Jacob Markstrom, who had been very hard on himself, was phenomenal in goal for Calgary. Um, he had a fight, you know, a little, little bit of everything. So that was the one that caught my eye. But yeah, it, it's uh, it, it, generally the theme has been, like you mentioned, nine, eight game, seven, six game, goals, 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 and that was anything but, but, yeah. but last night. You know, one of the um, unfortunate situations coming out of that Calgary game, and it's a, it was frightening when it happened, and he didn't move, and that's Chris Tan of blocking a shot with his head. Um, I remember when. Oh, you remember um, when there was that um, that movement to make the nets taller? Like if the uh, if they weren't going to make the nets wider, I remember Larry Quinn had like those bubble nets like on the outside. Yeah. Okay, this is what yeah. everyone had a new idea for the nets. I remember thinking to myself, the last thing we need to do is make the nets taller because the last thing we should be encouraging is players to shoot higher just because we don't want anyone getting hit in the face and pucks, et cetera. You know, you've, um, you know we, we've gone through the mandatory helmet phase. We're, uh, we've gone through the mandatory visor phase. Can you see this game getting to a place where it's mandatory full face shield for all NHLers? Do you think it, I mean, all these guys grew up playing with full face shields. Do you think it ever gets there in the NHL? Uh, yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you why. Because who would have thought it, there were helmets? Who would have thought there were visors? When a, when an official started wearing a helmet, it was viewed as being oh come on, you know, and on and on and on and things that were. I, I have yeah. no idea. I don't know if it's a, if if it's an updated macho thinking, but you're right about every kid, and you've got two kids, 
that are very active, uh, very engrossed in, in hockey. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's second nature to them. I, I don't, there was this, sort of this rite of passage that when, you know, you made it bigger, you got to wear your visor, although they've clamped down on that. You got to wear your visor, like, way up high. Well, you had success. You made, yeah. you made the NHL, you know, playing with that kind of equipment. But uh, uh, when you've got Daryl Sutter, Jeff, saying, man, I've heard that noise. It's a sickening noise. Like, you know, Daryl, um, you know, Daryl, the game is a game with him, right? The knocks are the knocks, but uh, he he had even he had uh, like kind of something to say about that 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 sick feeling when the puck hit Tanev. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's awful, and I think we all held our breath, no matter you're a Flames fan or not a Flames fan. We're all human beings, and and watching that is uh, is certainly disturbing. Um, uh, one one final thought here as we let you go. So the Board of Governors, you know, Gary Bettman, you know, coming shy of saying the cap's going to go up more than, than $1 million. Um, Do you have a thought? Like, if the cap doesn't go up next summer, like, teams are already, geez, really, really pinched. We're going to get more on this with Elliot an hour or two, but, you know, caps, uh, teams are already capped out and real pinched, and it seems as if maybe now more so than ever in the salary cap era, um, there needs to be a release valve here for teams to be able to get business done. If it is only a million, Gord, how disastrous is that for a lot of these elite-level teams? Yeah, you know, I think the Board of Governor meeting, I think of you and Elliot being there last year, right? I think it was a week earlier, Jeff, and there was so much optimism, right? The yeah. Olympics, the cap, and then... Um, the the un, which would be unthinkable now happening again COVID world reared its ugly head and it looks like it won't now I don't mean to be uh, um, flippant about it but that that's a real positive compared to last year uh, hey Gary Bettman as they as they as they fed him February first will be his thirtieth year so they're kind of uh, uh, yep. you know paying tribute to what he's done but he's always said you know when we got the cap in place everybody has the same pieces there's no Larry Bird exemption there's no luxury tax. There's no this, there's no that. You know, everyone has the same pieces, and you play with the same pieces. And, you know, Don Waddell of of Carolina, uh, a lot of it from an owner that, you know, doesn't really want to go high on the cap. But, you know, you, you, you let Dougie Hamilton yeah. go. You let Jeff Skinner go. you you got to make tough business decisions. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, being hard-pressed against the cap. And I, I give a lot of those GMs a mulligan because who expected you know, who expected the pandemic to hit. So they, they were being relatively, you know, relatively uh, judicious in how they were going about it, you know, trying to stay close but not over. And then the pandemic world's, what, probably, yeah. probably 10 million bucks behind or whatever if you would have projected three years ago. So um, and we, got, we got used to it. You got, we went back to we talk about Zdeno Chera and Wade Redden. You know, when they came out of the lockout, that, that was a huge huge relearning yeah. curve about how to handle the how to handle the cap and you know and this will be this will be one more year of you know a little bit more pain i guess you know i always think back and we'll, we'll conclude on this one one of the most important dates in the history of the nhl considering you know one of the most pivotal moments uh, of the nhl was the uh, ushering in of the salary cap era and listen you remember 94 and how it was you know good now versus a very you know new to his job gary bettman and it was over the salary cap and you know only lasted a few months and they ended up getting a season in um but then the next one 2005 was the war and there's one very specific date which i always go out of my way to mention where the nhl completely changed forever it was valentine's day uh 2005 ironically it was a niagara falls i mean the the symbolism of valentine's day in niagara falls ted saskin 
Bill Daly and the NHL Players Association officially coming off their no-cap stance. That was the day, Gordon, a lot of ways, it all changed. And it's all, and the shockwaves are still being felt from that one. Very romantic Valentine's Day, Gordon. <laughs> Lovely Niagara Falls. Uh, on that, we'll wrap. Uh, continued success. Uh, always good catching up, pal. We'll chat soon. Yeah, and you can remind Elliot, him and I went on a Valentine's Day to a Raptors game way back when. So things have picked up for us since then, okay? <laughs> I will, I'll lead with that in an hour or two. Thanks, G. Okay, see you, man. There he is, Gord Stalick from NHL Network Radio, also uh, Leafs Nation as well, across the Sportsnet Radio Network. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what the fallout is from the uh, day two of the Board of Governors. Elliot joins us here in hour two. Uh, and it seems as if uh, Bo Horvat and the Vancouver Canucks are destined for some type of split. Um, I would imagine Colorado, that's the one that makes the most sense and probably already has. But if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you probably want what Colorado does not want to give. Uh, more on that later on. Anthony Stewart uh, joins me here in a couple of moments from the NHL on Sportsnet. January 14th, speaking of history, him and his brother will make some as uh, the Kingston Frontenacs will retire both him and his brother's numbers to the rafters. We'll have that talk with uh, with Stewie and also some uh, some tours around the NHL. And we'll get his... Uh, you know what? I want to get Stewie's thoughts on the uh, the cage visor thing, you know, after seeing Tanev last night. So lots to get to. Elliot Friedman, Hour 2. Jason York as well. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Coming up in hour two, Elliot Friedman joins us from Florida. Scene of the Board of Governors meetings where Gary Bettman uh, has already mentioned no, 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 no to the play-in or wild card round for the playoffs. I believe the quote is, you're trying to create a solution to a problem that does not exist. Agree or disagree? Also, no definitive word on where the cap is going to be for next season, much to the chagrin of a number of general managers around the NHL. So we'll talk in, uh, check in rather with Elliot in hour two. Jason York coming up in hour two as well. We'll talk about the Ottawa Senators and that really wonderful ceremony for Wade Redden last night. There was another ceremony on the horizon. uh, January 14th in Kingston, Uh, the Frontenacs will retire both Anthony and Chris Stewart's numbers. They go to the rafters. Man, do I want to be there. Anthony Stewart joins me now on the program. Stewie, how are you, pal? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on this fine afternoon. A little cold, but uh, excited to be here. <laughs> uh, have you done your shoveling yet, Stewie? Have you thrown your back out yet, shoveling out the uh, the front and the back? No, I'm the guy that throws 20 pounds of de-icer and then just waits for uh, Mother Nature to take over. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? What happened? To, like trap bar record, Stewie? I'm throwing it around. I got to oh. like this. I got to pick it. I got Maddie Nichols trap bar record. What's going on? <laughs> The back isn't the same as it used to be, so I'm good. I'm good for a shovel, like every other snowfall. But sometimes I just pretend the problem doesn't exist. I just I make sure I de-ice the stairs, and the, and that's about it. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you point blank: um, when you were with the Kingston Frontenacs and the late great Larry Mavity 
was handing you, I don't know, like hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars of pizza coupons to get through your nourishment for the season. Did you ever think that you would have your number retired by your junior team? Uh, I did not. And it's funny you mentioned that story where, again, Mav sort of got the reputation of being rough and gruff, but he actually was a player's coach where, you know, not saying the players teased him, but we were in his office every day just causing mischief, right, where we had Eric Phil Himmelfar pretending that he'd be Mav saying, this is the easiest job in the world. All you do is pick up the phone and yell, front next. Uh, so you would just do those little tricks every single, every other day where there'd be something going on in Mav's office or, you know, you'd see him at the casino and he'd throw you a chip for 25 bucks. So it, it, it was a great atmosphere in a great city. But, um, you know, for me, as I, yeah. as I get to reflect sort of back on the past, you know, the one thing I almost regret is, you know, not, not winning, right? Kingston is such a great city, such an amazing fan base. I'm like, you know, you know, I was on to greener pastures and making the National Hockey League, but the one thing I could change if I could was going back and actually, you know, going above and beyond to really, really win for that city. That's the one regret I think I do have. Yeah, well, listen, you are uh, an outstanding junior, and I'm really happy for you and Chris. Both your numbers uh, will be retired on January 14th. Did you even know this was in the works, or was it a surprise phone call? Like, did Chris just call you it, and say, hey, surprise, surprise, Dewey? Yeah, essentially, yeah, it was a surprise phone call. I got a call from the Frontenacs. I think it was probably in September, and I was assuming, because I usually bring my minor hockey teams down there every year for a tournament. I think they were call- maybe at calling to maybe drop the puck or something, but they essentially said, well, yep. hey, we're planning on raising your jerseys to the Raptors, you and your brother, on the same night. Uh, when are you available? I said, well, I'm available anytime you guys need me because it's such a great honor. So, <laughs> uh, you know, my brother and I, and I, yeah. I talk about my accomplishments, giving him an opportunity because uh, he didn't play hockey his, his midget or minor midget year. He was playing football. So for him to get an opportunity to come to Kingston and carve out his own path and his great success, that's a that's one of my greatest accomplishments as a player and as a brother. Yeah, for those that don't know that one, and listen, and, and listen, Chris went on to have a, a wonderful career both in junior and pro as well and you know, still continues to work in the NHL. Uh, share with the listeners and the viewers here this, the story of you know, your brother playing hockey, quitting, playing football, and jumping right back in in the OHL, Stewie. Give us that one one more time. No big deal. Well, um, you know, hockey, as you know, is very, very expensive. And uh, my brother wasn't a superstar minor hockey player where a lot of the families didn't go above and beyond to make sure that he had equipment or rides to the rink. So he he basically had to take the bus to all of his games. Uh, So he was looking at the cost and how much it cost. And he just said, you know what, it's too much of a bearing uh, a burden on the family to be paying this amount of money. So he quit. He quit his OHL draft year and he played football. So just to sort of have fun with some of his friends, he played a little bit of high school hockey with the West Hill uh, high school team there. And I actually had a chance mm-hmm. to see him play because I came back early from Kingston. We didn't make the playoffs. but um, And I saw that, you know, he was a little bit heavier. He was in football shape, probably about 275 pounds. Uh, but he had amazing hands, and he and he still had the skill. He had the toe drag, backhand toe drag. He was doing stuff that I couldn't do, and I was basically in my third year in the OHL. So I said, hey, you know, if you really want to give this hockey thing a shot, like let's train together, let's work out, and I'll, and I'll find a way to get you back in the game. So I had no idea, you know, how I was going to, you know, get him back. But uh, So we trained together, and he actually got uh-huh. in shape, and I called uh, Mav. And I said, hey, you know what? I got my brother here that needs an opportunity. Can we give him a chance? And uh, his response was, yeah, we'll give him a chance. But if he doesn't do well, he's gone and you're gone too. <laughs> so uh, I sort you're of gone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sort of vouched uh, and put my brother's, uh, put my reputation on the line. And 
Um, you know, he basically made the team as a fighter, and he was in and out of the lineup for the first 25 games of the season. But he got his opportunity uh, when I went away to the World Junior Tournament, and I actually put him in my slot. So I think he had about three goals at Christmas, and he finished with, I think it was 18 or 19 goals. And he was captain two nice. years later in a first-round draft pick. So to go from uh, tight end playing football yeah. uh, to being a first-round NHL mm-hmm. draft pick just shows what kind of athlete he is. But, uh, you know, just the determination and the drive that he had, that's what uh, made him successful. You know, you uh, I've mentioned this before on this program elsewhere as well. I mean, you're a remarkable story yourself. Chris is a remarkable story. I remember you telling me the story of, you know, there was um, – it was hard financially, and it's hard financially for a lot of families. That story continues. I know you're doing plenty um, with hockey equality to try to narrow that gap uh, between you know those that have and those that need. But I remember you telling me the story that you know you weren't even allowed to take a slap shot because you know you you, you know just to be blunt, like sticks are expensive, and you couldn't afford breaking a stick. Like when you look back at it now. Like what, what comes to mind? Because there are so many sacrifices made for you. You've made a lot of sacrifices for other kids. But when you look back at, you know, growing up, sometimes it's hard when you're that young to understand or appreciate. But what do you appreciate now when you look back, Stewie? Well, I, I appreciate just sort of the job that uh, my mom did over the years, right? We grew up on government assistance where, you know, essentially $2,000 a month had to feed, clothe, and, uh, you know, provide for, you know, seven kids and a family of nine. And my dad was a seasonal pool worker working in the summers for 500 bucks a week. So I just do um, the math on that. And to be able to to have two sons make the National Hockey League, the sacrifice that it took, it uh, it really, really makes me reflect and appreciate my parents um, and, and what they did, especially my mom. So again, yeah, there were some nights you, you didn't have, uh, you know, a full plate of pasta, probably half plate of pasta, and you went to bed hungry sometimes. But again, we weren't charity cases. You know, we always had, you know, decent clothes. We always had warm meals. We always had... Uh, you know, our ways to getting to school. So just the sacrifice that my mom made for uh, seven kids, uh, for them to go on and have a better life. And, you know, she ended up passing away when I was about 19 years old. It's definitely uh, something I reflect upon and say, hey, you know what? Um, you know, I, I think yeah. I had it bad, but just seeing my mom and my, my sister to have to go through that, it's, it's definitely tough. Hockey moms are the best, man. Hockey moms Absolutely. are the best. Um, Absolutely. I want to talk to you about uh, an, another special person, um, and if we get a chance, I, I, I do want to get your thoughts on the uh, the Maple Leafs Anaheim game. But Marion Jacko uh, is a name that we talked about yesterday on the program. She's one of the names the uh, ho- the uh, Hockey Canada nominating committee has put forward uh, as a potential board member. Ratification is on Saturday. We focused a lot and had Cassie Campbell Pascal on the program yesterday. But I know that um, you know Marion Jacko well. Uh, I believe you've worked with her through Hockey Equality. Maybe I've got my facts a little bit uh, skewed on that one, but uh, what can you tell us about Mary and Jocko? Well, I'll use the word uh, superstar, and that's the one that best describes her. And again, a lot of people don't know her, but she is behind the scenes doing a lot of the work that you know people talk about that needs to be done. And you know, she's a former lawyer for uh, the Children's of Ontario, and just going above and beyond for Indigenous peoples. And you know, we're in a space right now when we're talking about diversity and growing the games and righting the wrongs of the past you know that's the group of people i think that have had it the worst and still to this day have it the worst so for her to go above and beyond for the indigenous people it's it's definitely great to see her and you know i had the opportunity to coach uh, an all-female team in the fred saskamoose tournament uh, this past uh, uh spring and just seeing her organize and getting all these great women 
um, together for this tournament. And, you know, we were playing, I was coaching with Ted Nolan and we're playing against teams that had three or four Olympians. And we had basically a group of indigenous girls that were, uh, you know, they went to college three, four years ago and they're playing men's league and we lost by a close margin. So just seeing her and the determination of what she's doing to try to grow the game. And uh, she was, uh, I think she has to drop the title now, but she's uh, the head of the little native NHL, which is one of the biggest tournaments in yep. North America every uh, every spring where people from all over Ontario come for uh, indigenous tournaments. And every single player, I think, that played in the National Hockey League went to this tournament once in a while. So I think it's great just to nominate her because mm-hmm. she's a female. Uh, you know, she knows uh, what the communities need, and she's a superstar. And we talk about this change, and she's a big uh, beacon of change, for lack of better words. That's awesome. The um, lawyer, correct? By trade? Yes. Children's Lawyer of Ontario, yes. Awesome. Yes. yes. Awesome. Uh, okay, a couple of minutes I got left with you. And I'm, I'm listen, uh, as Elliot mentioned on the program yesterday, uh, she knows you, friend of yours, you vouch for that's, that, uh, that word as good as gold. Um, okay, Maple Leafs and the Anaheim Ducks. Like Anaheim takes a tough one last night, 3 nothing. Cam Talbot was fantastic um, for Ottawa yesterday. Alex Dabrinka with a couple of goals. And the woes for Anaheim continue. Uh, they face off against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and so that means Mitch Marner and your favorite player, William Nylander. Your thoughts on this one, Stewie? <laughs> I don't get it. I'm still catching a lot of flack, people saying that I'm not a Nylander fan. I'm like, I bought his skates. I bought his skates, and it's signed, and it's autographed. <laughs> That's true. But it's, it's great to see that he's performing, right? And, and again, the, the jury was sort of out saying, you know what, there's some shifts that he's not going 100%, but he's proving that he's a leader right now for this group. And I think the reason why the Leafs are doing so well we expected Marner and Matthews to have a great, great season, but Nylander and JT have really put in their game to the next level right now where they're going above and beyond the call of duty and playing some great hockey. So that's why the Leafs right now have, what is it, points in 13 of the last 16 or something like that. It's really, really great. But again, we got to get Justin Bourne on the show here. If I'm a betting man, doesn't this spell like the one night where Anaheim comes and you know, we got a lot of Ontario oh, yeah. residents coming in and they just, you know, at least maybe lay an egg. I, I, I think so. If I'm not a betting man, I don't really know about betting. So, but uh, if I was, I'd probably put some money on the Anaheim ducks because again, yes, they're in the bottom uh, shelf of the national hockey league right now, but they can't lose every game. They got to win a couple, but uh, anyway, you dice it. I don't think anybody thought the Leafs would be doing this well right now with all the defensemen going down. We know Brody's back right now, but it's great hockey. It's yep. great to watch. They're playing good team defense. They're sticking up for one another. They're blocking shots. They're playing the game the right way. Uh, for me, you know, putting my coaching hat right now, I'm really, really impressed with how the Leafs are doing as of late. Yeah, it's 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 been an impressive run. I think one of the things that's most impressive. Well, I mean, the goaltenders are certainly a story, um, and a lot of the you know people that were to be generous, skeptical about the moves by by Kyle Dubas have sort of vanished right now, or sheepishly said, "Well, okay, yeah, they're good now, but let's see what happens." Uh, I get so it. Um, but how do you like, how do you like well like how do you like how do you um, how do you reconcile like the complete decimation of this blue line? And a team that just is the stingiest when it comes to the goals against right now. It can't all be goaltending, Stewie. Well, I think a lot of the detractors were saying, you know what, it's too much for Lilligren and Sandine to tread water eating up these minutes. Because remember, they didn't really have an opportunity, you know, going into last year. They were, you know, playing some sheltered minutes here and there, but they really, really stepped yeah. up. And I think they really stabilized that blue line. Obviously, Gio, you know, being the old Wiley Brett playing the game the right way. But I think it's just, 
the belief and the buy-in the system. And I used to always have Craig Ramsey talk about it. You've got to believe in the system. You don't just play in it. Play it. You have to believe in it. And it just seems now, again, you know, they're probably a little bit uh, topsy-turvy to start that uh, streak there, but they're playing the game the right way, supporting the puck, coming top of the puck, not playing that pond hockey style. You know, the power plays, uh, you know, eighth in the league right now. They're killing penalties. You know, going back to the game the other night, I think they blocked probably five, six penal- mm-hmm. uh, shots and one penalty kill. When's the last time you've seen that? So they're just playing the game the right way, uh, not making any unnecessary opportunities. They're now starting to get points in overtime as well, too. So it's just it's just yeah. good to watch. It's fun hockey to watch. And as a, as a student of the game, yeah. now that I'm <laughs> on this side of it, I can really, really have a newfound appreciation for it. There was one game, it's funny, uh, you talked about all those block shots on that one PK. There was that one game, maybe you remember, it was a game against the Carolina Hurricanes where Tim Brent stopped about, I don't know how many shots there were, but some of them were blasts. A game against Carolina, midweek game, and Tim Brent pulled off like one of the best penalty kill shifts I think we've ever seen uh, in, in Toronto, and that's all that I could think at that time. Uh, okay, uh, on that we'll let you go. Congratulations, please extend it to Chris as well. Uh, this will be a fantastic evening. I'm really hoping to be there. One, so I can you know go watch the fronts, but two, uh, mainly to go support you and Chris as your numbers go to the rafters January 14th in Kingston. Congrats, Stewie, and we'll we'll check back soon, pal. Thanks for having me, Jeff. There is Anthony Stewart who wears many hats and always want to mention all of his work with his group Hockey Equality alongside his wife Shantae, who's is Stewie gone? She's the brains of the operation. Stewie's good. Elbow grease gets all the work done. Shantae's it, man. She's awesome. Uh, Thanks to Anthony for stopping by. Elliot Friedman coming up in hour two from the Board of Governors. We'll see what uh, what the latest is there. And then we'll talk about the Ottawa Senators and that really nice, like what a nice night for Wade Redden yesterday. Ring of Honor, reading out the lineup in front of his family, the ovation, and an Ottawa Senators win against the Anaheim Ducks. Hour two is coming up. Stick with me. Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. The program continues. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. He is flat out one of my favorite people to talk to. He is uh, Jason York, one-third of the Coming In Hot podcast with Brent Wallace and Bobby Ryan. Hello, York Chop. How are you, pal? Hello, Jeff. I'm, uh, I'm doing great, man. Am I really one of your favorite people? Come on, you're just saying that. You know, man, it's all my years of doing ice surfing with you that I used to always look forward to doing it. We'd have wonderful conversations. We'd share stories. Some of the stories might even be true. Uh, there might have been some facts that we played fast and loose with, but nonetheless, there we were. Um, yeah, because like you're a, you're an intriguing guy. You uh, you know a lot of people. Uh, you know a lot of stories, not just NHL but junior hockey as well. We had to always go back and forth on, on some of those. And you're yeah. plugged into one of the most interesting markets in the NHL right now, and that is Ottawa. I mean, all the buzz yeah. the Board of Governors is all about, you know, all the NDAs that have been signed around the uh, the impending sale on the ice. You know, wonderful game last night. 
Uh, Alex DeBrinkett with a pair, Cam Talbot with the shutout. Everyone's happy. Wade Redden is, you know, reading out the starting lineup in the Sens dressing room. A real nice ceremony as he goes to the Ring of Honor. And maybe, you know, let's let's start there with uh, with with the Ottawa Senators, York Chop. And your thoughts on Wade Redden, the time he played in Ottawa, and what you saw last night, not just him, but around his family as well. Yeah, no, it's it's Jeff. They're just doing a lot. Like I was saying before, I cut out. They're doing a lot of things to bring back the fans. Because unfortunately, you know the story here. They lost a lot of traction here in the community. A lot of people didn't renew their season tickets, uh, ostracizing Daniel Alfredson from the organization. And now seeing Alfie back, and the first game of the season here when Alfredson dropped the puck. I haven't heard that kind of noise in, in the building for a long time, and it got a buzz going. Mm. And then bringing Redden back, doing the Ring of Honor. Uh, they're going to retire Chris Neal's jersey in February. Little things like that go a long way with this fan base because there's a lot of there's. It took a while, but there's some history now at the Ottawa Centers. There's some good history, and and they're just uh, now with the Ryan Reynolds. And there's just there's a lot of buzz, like you said, Jeff. It's it's really intriguing right now with going on with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, but for Wade, yeah. uh, Wade and I were, were, were really good friends. We were deep partners. We were roommates on the road. We had a lot of laughs together. I'll tell you what, for as far as quality individuals go, he's just a simple guy from Lloydminster, Saskatchewan. Uh, he's a family guy. His wife, Danica, his three daughters were in attendance. And it was just, a, it was a great night. Mm-hmm. Some of the guys they brought back to Brian McGradden was there, Antoine Vermette, Patrick Valim, obviously Alfie was there, Chris Phillips, Chris Neal. It was just, it was a great night to honor a really good person. And it was the way things should be, need to be to have a successful franchise. Because I know Jeff, you're an old historian. You love the history of the game and history with a, with a team is really important. And the Ottawa Centers, like I said earlier, are, are really starting to do the right things now with the organization. Well, and one of the things that, I mean, you always look for players that, you know, demonstrate a, a desire to be there, even when, when times are tough. And, you know, Ottawa had that decision to make. We all think back to that July 1st where it was, okay, are we keeping Chara or are we keeping Redden? Um, and Chara, of course, obviously went on to the uh, to the Boston Bruins to win a Stanley Cup, and Redden, Whose heart, you know, very much was in Ottawa. You know, even, you know, even in, um, even in situations where, you know, they wanted to move him. Like I, I correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Yorkie. Like I believe that he, you know, he nixed the trade to both Edmonton and then nixed another one to San Jose, in order to stay in Ottawa. Like you talk about players that are committed to the market, want to stay there. Sometimes there are forces, you know, beyond your control that sort of take you to some other markets. But that was a guy that was always loyal to Ottawa, loved Ottawa, and wanted to stay in Ottawa. Yeah, no, you're right. You're exactly right, Jeff. And the same with with Chris Phillips. Chris Phillips had an opportunity with Boston on a deadline once. Philly decided to stay because he wanted to be part of the group here. He wanted to win. Wade was the same. Uh, Alfred. So there's a lot of guys here that have played a lot of games for the team. Chris Neal's played over a thousand games, but you're right. Um, but the point, you know that point you made with Chara and Redden, there's a little more to that story than people realize. There was, with Chara, when he went to Boston, it wasn't as easy as, yeah, we're taking Wade over Chara. Uh, 
Chera had a desire to go to Boston. I, I was there Chera's first year in Boston when, when he had his first year as the captain. And for Chera, the Ottawa Senators were never going to be his team. It was always Daniel Alfredson's team. He got an opportunity as a free agent to go to Boston and be the face of the franchise. And that was important to Big Z. And obviously it turned out great for him. They want to copy as the captain. Hall of Fame number retired. He made the right decision, but there's a lot more to that. People always just thought, well, the Ottawa Senators, no, no, Big Z wanted to go to Boston too. And and, and they ponied up, and uh, that was a big part of it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, It certainly was. Um, Right now on the ice, the Ottawa Senators are not where they want to be or expected. Uh, to be, I know that there's a huge buzz in the city. There was a you know buzz over the past couple of days in uh, in, in Florida at the Board of Governors uh, about the impending sale and Ryan Reynolds and who's going to end up getting this thing and you know, how many people have signed NDAs at this point. Um, when you read the fan base, Jason, you know what is what what's more emotional to them or what's more front and center, the sale of the Ottawa Senators and who the new ownership group is going to be or the situation on the ice where this isn't the way we expected it to be, uh, considering, you know, the summer of Pierre, as we called it, whether it was, you know, the Brinkett and the Stutzla extension and bringing in Claude Giroux, like, and Talbot, like, it wasn't supposed to be this way. What's the bigger story for Sens fans right now? I think the possibility of getting Ryan Reynolds in here as one of the owners, to tell you the truth, you know how much <laughs> excitement there was? That was a national story that game, yeah. Jeff. When, when Reynolds was in the building, oh yeah, people, people were fanatic. And for that night, the Ottawa Senators, well, hey, they were on the Jimmy Fallon show. Ryan Reynolds, two things I never thought I would have yeah. heard on a late on a late night show. The Ottawa Senators, and there's a little pocket in Ottawa called Vanier. It's not the best part of the city. I'll, I'll leave it at that, Jeff. But Reynolds referenced Vanier. Yeah. On Fallon's show, and I was laughing, but no, it's it's. it's I think it's the ownership. It's it's people are really excited for the future of this team, and you're always going to have like when I do my podcast, we, you always hear the negative noise because the negative people are the most vocal. They want their voice out there. They're banging their fists on Twitter, but I think people are generally really excited for the future for who's going to own this team. There's all kinds of rumors. Uh, Reynolds, of course, is front and center. And I even heard Elliot was telling me about the weekend also has interest mm. in the team, which I thought was fascinating. And I guess he has some, some roots, some friends in the area. So this is going to get really exciting. And it's going to get really exciting in the new year when we start hearing about all these people and what the team's going to go for. So that's, that's the number one story in this city is what's going to happen with the team. Okay, so to the team on the ice right now. And, you know, a couple of weekends ago, it seemed as if, you know, I'll, I'll just be blunt with you. And it started with that game against the New York Rangers where Brady Kachuk fought Jacob Truba at center ice. And he gets the, the Gordie Howe hat trick. And then San Jose's in the building the next night. And he takes a, a good, healthy run at Eric Carlson. Hey, welcome back, 65. Like, I don't want to put too much on it, but I'm about to. That was the weekend, York, and I said this on the air, that he became his dad. Yeah, like he, yeah. He became Keith Kachuk that weekend. I'm thinking, I'm watching this, and I'm like, am I watching Brady Kachuk or am I watching Keith Kachuk? Because that, to me, was a moment he became his father, Luke. I mean, Yorkie. 
It's weird, you know, um, how, how things evolve. And it's not exactly the same, but that, like I've said, you know, most recently, when you look at how much of an accent now is being placed once again on physicality in the NHL, it's almost as if, and we've gone through this entire era where it's all been sprint, 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 speed and skill, speed and skill. It's almost like old school is becoming the new school once again. Like, okay, everybody can skate now. What else can you give me? Right, like all the bad skaters are gone. What else? What else can you give? And it can't help thinking like everybody is looking for the new school version of old school. There, that's probably saying it better. Everyone wants the new school version of old school. Does that make sense with you? It makes perfect sense. It makes because the game's always evolving. It's a copycat league. Everybody thought the St. Louis Blues are what what you needed to be, and then okay, now it's the Colorado Avalanche, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and. And now you're watching Brady Kachuk do, like you said, the old school, new school, or whatever school you want to call it. It's, I guess it's the Kachuk school. <laughs> he's just, uh, he's, yeah. he's really fun to watch. I, so here's the thing, my, my take on Kachuk. In that little radius okay. around the net, you know that little five-foot zone around the front of that? He's the best, at least for me right now, at, at, at tipping pucks, getting that big butt of his in the way, and just being that immovable object that his father was. There's just not a lot of guys that, do that be that big beast in front of the net so uh no he's he's been fun to watch jeff fun to watch and uh they, the ottawa senators they, i still think it's going to be really tough for them to get in the playoffs it's, they put themselves in a very oh, yeah. tough position a very tough oh, yeah. position we know the we know the stats we know the percentages but in a couple of years yeah. time if, if they stay on the right track make a couple really uh, prudent moves in the offseason. They're not far away from being a very good team. 
No, I know expectations are high and it's been a disappointment so far, but we can all see where this thing is going. Um, always great catching up, pal. You be good. Continue success with the podcast. The best, uh, as always, to Brent and Bobby from us here, okay? I'll be hitting you up. Don't you worry. Elliot's already been on the pod, but uh, <laughs> you, my friend, uh, don't worry. I'll be calling soon. You're coming on. As long as I'm number two with you, Yorkie. As long as I'm number two, pal. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're so uh, busy, man. You can barely get a hold of you. You're too it's Jeff Please. Merrick all the I call time. You fr- TV, radio. I call you from the car driving the kids to hockey. You know that, York Chop. You're the best. All right, we got to hustle. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Jason York for stopping by. Uh, Elliot Friedman from the BOG. Anthony Stewart, January 14th. Him and his brother, Chris. The numbers to the rafters in Kingston and Gord Stalick for kicking it all off. Thanks to Fred Baraska, Lance Kennedy, our producer, Matt Marchese. And thanks to you for listening and or watching, or both, or downloading. Thanks so much. Talk to you tomorrow.